Hey Westlight, happy Easter. Now when you think about Easter, people usually think about two major symbols. The first is the cross that Jesus died on, and the other one is the grave in which Jesus rose from. Now today I want to focus on the cross, and the reason is because the cross, it represents something extremely mystical. Now what do you think about when you think about the cross? What are the words that you associate with it? Do you think about love, hope, triumph? I mean these symbols, this, this cross, this is something that people put on their shirts, they put it around their necks, they decorate it on the wall, and some people, they even put it on their skin. Whatever you associate the cross with, I bet it's something extremely positive. But 2,000 years ago, the cross stood for gloom, sadness, and oppression. The very opposite of what it stands for today. The cross was a tool that the oppressors used to make sure that the opposing voices were silenced. It was a tool that they used to bully over other people. It was a tool that they used to make an example of people who didn't fall in line with the world order. So what changed? I mean, today it stands for everything that's good, and 2,000 years ago it stood for everything that was bad. What happened in between? When Jesus was dying on the cross, people weren't looking at him thinking, wow, this is great news. When they saw him dying, they thought, there goes our hope. Evil finally won. How are we going to face tomorrow? You see, after Jesus rose from the grave three days after the cross, his followers looked at the death of Jesus on the cross and said, wait a minute, there might be some symbolism there that we might have missed the first time we saw this happen. You see, when you look at the cross just by itself, out of context, it's bad news. But when you look at it from the perspective of God's entire story, it turns into good news. Now, in order to give you the bigger picture, we need to start at the beginning, the very beginning. And I'm going to use an illustration that was taught to me a long time ago. In the beginning, God created humanity. 
Now, the relationship between God and humanity was great. It was perfect until humanity decided to rebel and turn its back on God. And how did God respond to that? He went over there looking for them in the cool of the day and clothed them. And then when God realized that in their cursed state of sin, if they were to eat from the tree of life, then that curse will become permanent. And so God said, you need to leave this garden. And when he called them to go outside, God left the garden with them. In the very next generation, we have Cain and Abel. Cain is frustrated with Abel. So what Cain does is that he plots to kill his brother. And when he's doing that, God looks for him and sits down and talks to him. And he says, you better watch out, Cain, because sin is crouching out the doorstep of your life. You better overcome your anger right now. But when he lets anger take over his life and, and actually kills his brother, God still comes out and looks for him. And he says, I'm going to protect you. What you did was wrong, but I want to take care of you. A few generations after that, God notices that the world is starting to fall apart. And because he loves humanity, he wants to do everything he can to protect it and rescue it. And so he picks a guy named Abram and gives him a promise. He tells him, Abram, I'm going to bless you and make you into a large nation. Now at the time, Abram didn't have any kids. So he's like, how am I supposed to become a nation? I have no kids. And God says, I'm going to promise you that you're going to have a child. So how did Abram respond to that? Well, he decided to break that promise by sleeping with a slave girl so that he could have his own child. How did God respond to that? God came and sat down and talked to him and said, you broke my promise, but I'm going to still keep my end of the promise. And as for that child that you created with a slave girl, I'll take care of him too. A few generations after that, we have Moses. God rescues this baby Moses because he had a plan for Moses to save his people out of slavery, out of Egypt. So how did Moses respond to that? Well, he saw his own people being oppressed and he decides to murder the Egyptian. And then after that, he buries the body and runs off into the desert. How did God respond to that? God found Moses and spoke to him in the middle of the desert from the burning bush. A few generations after that, God wants to bring his people together so he could establish his kingdom here to go and bless the world. And so he picks this guy named David, King David. But King David responded by sleeping with a woman named Bathsheba, lying about it, and having her husband murdered. How did God respond to that? God found him, spoke to him, told him what you did was wrong, but also told him, through you and Bathsheba's child, I will establish a permanent kingdom. And then through that lineage, God gives us Jesus. He brought his own son here into this world so that he could be with us. One day there's this woman who's messed up so many times in her life, who's had five divorces and the man she's living with right now is not her husband. Jesus finds her in the middle of Samaria and talks to her and gives her life, tells her about the living water, and then she goes off with a fresh new start. A few days after that, Jesus comes across this man who has sold out his friends and family and his own nation for the sake of being rich. He's become a tax collector for Rome. One day, Jesus walks under this tree where he sees Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and says, today I'm going to your house and we're gonna have a meal together. And he sits down and has a conversation with him. And Zacchaeus decides to turn his life around. In another story of Jesus, there's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. And these people who call themselves representatives of, 
of God, these religious rulers, they grab her and they throw her in front of Jesus and says, Jesus, if you are a true follower of God, you would throw stones at her until she dies. Jesus responds by first telling the people who are accusing her to go away and then lifts her up by her hand and says, I'm not here to accuse you. I'm not here to condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, so far in this story, there's a pattern that God is always in this relentless pursuit after us. See, when we turn away, God shows up. And when we run away, God chases us down. So as the story goes, as people turn away from the light because they prefer the darkness, as they run away from God because they don't want to be reminded of their imperfections. So we ran and ran and ran away from God and He kept on chasing after us. And so we poured out our wrath on Him. They used the number one execution device of the day to silence God. And as we hung Him on the cross, He looked down at us and said, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That was God's response. Every step of the way, God's reaction to our rebelliousness has been love. But three days later, Jesus comes back from the grave, proclaiming that He is the resurrection and the life. One of the first Christian leaders, his name is Paul the Apostle, this is what he says that Jesus was accomplishing on the cross. He says this, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. He's saying that what Jesus was doing on the cross was trying to get people back to himself, to have that perfect relationship that we lost a long time ago. But that's not where the verse ends, because there's a part two to this. He says this, and he has committed to us, that's you and me, us, the message of reconciliation. What he says here is really cool, he's saying, once we surrender to his pursuit, he's been chasing after you years and years and years, and you finally said, okay, fine, I'll be in relationship with you. And once you get to that point, he says at that point, you are not just somebody that's being pursued by God, you are now partners with God. You are now part of the solution for this world. You are now partnering with him to make the world a better place. So you see, the cross by itself, is a symbol of torture, a symbol of death, sadness, gloom. But in the context of God's story, it represents the depths in which God was willing to go to capture our hearts. And not only that, it also represents hope to the world. So this Easter, may you realize that God loves you with all of His being, that he was willing to go to the grave for you. May you go and spread to the world the message of reconciliation. And through God, may we all experience heaven together. God bless you.